שלום וברוכים הבאים לעוד אה, תוכנית בסדרת הפודקאסטים ICS CyberTalks. והיום זה הפרק השני במסגרת ההיכרות עם טכנולוגיות לקראת הכנס של מטריקס בנושא של סייבר סולושנס. והיום נמצא איתי אורח מחו"ל, ובשלב הזה אני אעבור לאנגלית. היי, ובכם ל-ICA CyberTalks. היום אני מוכנה Uh, Tony Goldwyn from uh, Delinea. And uh, first of all, Tony, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. It's really, really good to be here. So uh, for start, we always do, always do the same. So if you can give us some, uh, well, give us some bio. And after that, I would... Uh, Talk about uh, your position in the linear and everything. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> as you can see, I'm not a young chicken. Um, I've been around for quite uh, a number of years. I've been in the security industry for almost 30 years. So it's, it's cranking up there. Um, <laughs> I actually started off at university and my, my accent probably gives some of it away. Um, I was born and raised in Wales in the United Kingdom and I went to university there. But I went to study uh, marine biology, and then I accidentally stumbled across a computer, almost literally tripped over it in the hallway. And what's that? It's a computer. And I started, obviously, from that point on getting into computing. And when I left, instead of my original vocation being marine biology, I went down the computer path. So I started off as a programmer. And over the intervening 30 years, I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Um, I've been a programmer. I've been in customer support. Um, I've run professional services organizations. I've carried a bag as a salesperson. Um, I've been a product manager. And now currently in my current organization, I'm part of the marketing team. So, um, and, and I would say in the last 15 years, because security is a big space, I've been focused on privileged access management uh, and that's what I focus on now yeah this is something that so. we would go very deep in a couple of minutes yes. so um, Tony is as he said uh, uh, senior director uh, technical product in the marketing and mm-hmm. on the other hat is a cyber security evangelist which is I, right. I always like to see you those kind of guys which are leading technologies so it's quite fun and of course with uh, 30 years of experience mm-hmm. you have a lot in your bag yes so Tony let's start with a brief introduction of Dilinea only to put us on the same page sure it may be a new name to to several um, of your audience but Dilinea is is really the blend it's the coming together of two uh privileged access management leaders um and those leaders are thycotic and centrify so thycotic and centrify were always ranked up in the top leadership of all of the analyst quadrants when it comes to privileged access management and within the last year or so we have now been brought together and we've renamed ourselves delinear Now, as far as Delinea is concerned, um, our 
focus as a company is that we want to put uh, privileged access at the center of cybersecurity. You know, we believe that the privileged access, I'll refer to it as PAM from now on, privileged access management, yeah, but we please. believe that PAM is that critical, right? Security can be complex, but that doesn't mean that your security solution has to be complex. And so at Delinea, we believe that the the opposite of complex isn't simple, it's, <laughs> it's seamless. It's seamless. And that's why our tagline is seamless, privileged access, but without the excess. Uh, and so we have cloud-ready PAM solutions, and we're trying to remove complexity. We're trying to help delineate the boundaries of access so that users get, get the access that they want, while IT gets the control that it needs. And I'm sure that we'll elaborate more on that as we get into the podcast, but hopefully that kind of uh, describes what uh, Delinea is. Yeah, great. So um, we would go um, top-bottom. We would start in a high level and drill down. Mm -hmm. I hope it's uh, okay with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Good. So um, you're talking about PAM, the privilege access management, and let's start with understanding um, what is the big issue about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the big issue that, that privileged access management is trying to solve, it, it's kind of in the name. So it's self-referential. So privileged access and management. And historically, um, PAM has been um, focused on trying to make sure that we can govern and manage access to sensitive IT resources that are typically used by very privileged individuals, administrators. So every organization has um, IT infrastructure. They have servers that's running the business, that's running business applications, that has very sensitive data on them. And so those, those servers are, are highly sensitive. And typically, administrators are given highly privileged accounts by which they log into those in order to manage those systems. So you may have a database administrator. You may have a web server administrator. You may have a sysadmin, et cetera, et cetera. These individuals have what we refer to as the keys to the kingdom. They're very highly privileged accounts. And obviously, if they fall into the wrong hands, then we could be in trouble. So privileged access management is all about management. It's all about managing those privileged credentials and managing who can use them to log into these sensitive IT infrastructure resources. I mentioned servers, it could be network devices, for example. And you know who can log into them and then what they're allowed to do once they're logged in. So hopefully that gives you that, that kind yeah, of high Yeah, of course. Level. Very good. So let's take another layer um, mm -hmm. and move down. And what I want to ask you is about the, the two keys that are uh, the moving parts of the PAM. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what are they? The... Uh, privilege uh, elevation. Yes, yes, yes. 
So as we all know, certainly if we're in security, security is, is a big place. So it certainly helps to, to, to properly understand how, you know, the, the key moving parts to PAM. I think there's a lot of, a lot of security practitioners out there um, who, who maybe because of the skill shortage or the great brain drain or whatever it's called these days, um, are maybe struggling to understand this, this big thing called security. So let me try and distill privileged access management down. And it, you mentioned one of the two key moving parts, right. privilege elevation. The other one is vaulting. And so really these two big key moving parts, they comprise privilege access, privilege access management. And vaulting is, is probably the easiest to, to understand. Um, it, it's all about those, remember those keys to the kingdom privileged accounts that I mentioned earlier in, in kind of the early definition. Mm-hmm. Those accounts are what cyber attackers are targeting. They want to get a hold of those so that they can get elevated privileges in order to steal your data or, or to encrypt it for ransom. So we want to take them away. We want to make sure they don't get a hold of them. And historically, We've just given our administrators those accounts. Um, we've trusted them implicitly that they'll do the right thing. But of course, we're all human. And, and even if we have good intentions, we can still accidentally lose those things. Um, but again, historically, we would just give our administrators those keys to the kingdom accounts. And I think like most people, if there's a lot of them, they might put them in a spreadsheet or write them on the whiteboard or put them on sticky notes. So there wasn't good access control around those privileged accounts. So what we saw, we saw all of those day to day. Yes, absolutely. And it's still pervasive today. So a vault is a piece of software where we take those accounts away or the account passwords away from our administrators and we put them into a secure vault. And um, now the administrators log into the vault and think of that as the first thing they do in the morning. They would log into the vault And now if they need to access those account passwords, um, they can check them out of the vault. Now, there are controls around that. You don't just check them out anytime you want to because you're almost back to where you were before. Yeah. There are now access controls around that, and there may be workflows around that that uh, allow the administrators to request the access to those account passwords, and then they can use them for a certain amount of time. So, so that vault helps reduce the attack surface. It helps reduce the risk that they will fall into the wrong hands. And very, very typically, let's say, let's say I'm an administrator, I log into the vault, I use one of the passwords, let's say for 45 minutes to solve a problem, let's say the web server's down, so I've used it to log into a web server and spin it back up again. Then once I'm done and that gets checked in to the vault, the vault will actually go back to that server where the account lives and it will recycle the password. So I no longer know what the current password is. So even if, it, even if I'm fished or it falls into the wrong hands, the password is no longer valid. So part of the vault's role in life is as a vault, as a safe to, to, to secure access and only grant access to the right people at the right time. But it's also to rotate those passwords on a frequent basis. It may be every hour, maybe every minute. It may be uh, 
when an event happens, like when the administrator checks that password back in, then it gets rotated. So that's kind of the function of the vault. It's all around protecting those privileged accounts. So, so even then you go to the I, other side. I'm yeah. oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah, sorry that I'm interrupting you, but... No, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> only from my understanding. Even the passwords and the privilege that they get, it's a, it's a privilege with, which would be for something which is specific. It wouldn't be like a superstar uh, a privilege that you can do everything. Well, that's a very, very interesting question because historically, that hasn't been the case. Historically, um, so, so think about this. Um, in a perfect world, we would want to eliminate and get rid of all of those privileged accounts, things like Root, Administrator, Cisco, Oracle, because they are so highly privileged that if they fall into the wrong hands, it's like, wow, we've got a, a major problem. Some of them we can get rid of because over time as organizations, you know, our administrators are creating local privileged accounts for their own personal use, which is a bad practice. And we can get rid of some of them. But those others like root and administrator, they're part of the operating system. We can't get rid of them. So we vault them away. And so really historically, the vault has become a place to store those what we call shared privileged accounts. They're shared because they don't have an owner. Yeah. It's not like tony.golding at delinea.com. It's administrator. And that could be shared by one, two, 10, 50 different administrators. So that's where we put them in the vault, which means if the administrator is checking that out, even if it's just to do a very um, directed thing, let's say to restart the web server or to update the database, they're still getting the full keys to the kingdom. They can do anything, and that's not a good practice because it also means if it falls into the wrong hands, the attacker can do anything. So, so your point is actually very interesting. We're going to get into that because as we move now to the other side of the pan coin, which is the privilege elevation, that's where we can constrain the rights that the administrator has to only those that are necessary for whatever task is currently at hand. So shall I move on to that? Yeah, please. <laughs> all right, so privilege elevation. So we've got all of our sensitive shared privileged accounts vaulted. So if I'm an administrator, how do I access a server? How do I do my job? Obviously, I don't want to check out administrator and root all the time because that's way too many privileges. So now we're trying to implement a best practice that's been around for, for many, 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 many years called least privilege. So the principle of least privilege is well understood in security circles. It's a tenet of, of good security best practices. So what that means is as an administrator, I should have minimum rights. I should have least privilege. And instead of going to the vault to check out administrator login, uh, administrator account, root account, etc., I would log in to that server with my own account. And that helps in a number of ways. Number one, it means it's, it's easier for me. I don't have to go to the vault. I can just go. It's the same business as usual process for me as an administrator, which is always good because administrators are always busy. They've always got too much work to do, yeah. an extra step or two just 
is gets in the way. So I log in as myself. And because I have minimum rights, it means I really can't do anything on that server that requires administrative privileges. And the second, the second benefit, so that means that the, the attack surface is reduced. And it means if I can't make silly mistakes that compromise the server because I don't have sufficient rights. But it also means that in the log files, in the audit logs, all of my activity is accountable to me. It's not administrator. It's not root. It's like if something goes wrong and the incident response team goes to that server and starts looking at the logs, they're not going to see root did this, administrator did that. They see by they're going to see Tony Golding did this. So, so that quickens the process. And very much in cybersecurity, it's about speed. Yeah, of course. How fast can you determine the root cause of the breach or the problem that you think you have? So that helps full accountability in the log file. So then you're saying, well, that's great, but Tony, you've just logged in with minimum rights. You can't run privileged applications or privileged commands. So how do you do the job that you're supposed to do? Well, typically what would happen is that um, maybe I got a help desk ticket, service now, help desk, Tony. The, the database has crashed. Can you please log into server ABC and run that privileged uh, database management tool in order to restart the web server? So I would go, okay, that's what I need to do. I would then request the additional rights necessary to do that. Now, note, I'm not requesting a full administrator access because that gives me too broad yeah, of course. a set of rights. I, I would request, a, hopefully, the organization has defined some roles that are very specific. So I would request the role or roles necessary just to do that. That would go into a workflow. That would go to one or more individuals who would look at that and say, hmm, here's some context. It's Tony. He's an administrator. He's a database administrator, and he's requesting access to log in to the database server to recycle that database application. Why? Oh, look, here's a help desk ticket. And that is the authority. That is the thing that, that's, that's requesting that this be done. I will approve that. And then as soon as that approval is made, automatically behind the scenes, the privileged access management solution would, would provision that role with its entitlements, with its rights to me. So it would and be, then I would be able to log in. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying, it would be a pinpoint privilege privilege. Exactly, exactly for the job that you need. Exactly, exactly. Great. So often when we talk about PAM, we're talking about um, just enough privilege granted just in time for a minimum time. So the just enough privilege is constraining that down from administrator to only what we need, just enough privilege. Granted just in time means it's only when needed. You're giving that to the administrator only at the point in time that they need it. And then for a limited time, which we haven't got to, means that once that job is done, so when I make my request to say, hey, can I log into server A and, and then run this, this database management tool, I will request that access for a particular period of time. I may think to myself, hmm, that's going to take me an hour and 30 minutes. I will request an hour and 30 minutes. 
And then when it goes to the approvers, they can also look at that and say, hmm, did you ask for too much time? That's really just a 10-minute job. Why do you need an hour? And <laughs> so they have the opportunity to adjust it. That's fine. That's fine. Checks and balances. But the point is that, that once I'm done with my job, once I've done that, um, either that time limit expires or I manually, you know, sort of say I'm, I'm done with this. Either way, um, the PAM system will then revoke those rights. It will take them away. So now I'm back down to least privilege. So in terms of risk, you know, I was low risk because I'm least privilege. And then I got granted additional rights. So technically the risk has gone up a little bit because I'm now a user with additional rights. Yeah, of course. Okay, for an hour and a half. So I could be exposed, you never know. And then once that's done, it's back down again. So if you were to look at risk, and privilege access management is all about risk. It's all about trying to prevent uh, incidents, data breaches, ransomware, etc. So the risk over time is like that. Instead of constantly logging in the morning as administrator, stay there for 24 hours, high risk, high risk, high risk, and then I leave in the evening. So we're trying to really squash that risk profile for our customers to make sure that, that you know, we're mitigating the risk of them being attacked. Doesn't it uh, occur as uh, a kind of overhead to those that need to um, give the privilege, to, uh, to, to give the authority that, okay, fine, you ask, I approve it? Yes, I mean, so we're talking about a workflow here that has manual steps involved. I think a lot of organizations, especially larger organizations, they're used to this model. It's called a help desk, oh, right? Okay. So IT and everybody, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to create a help desk ticket because I need, you know, I need you to go over and, and sort out the problem on that server with the database. So, you know, it, it's, and then so that, that you're saying this is already part of the practice. It is, it is. Now, for an administrator, I, I grant you that there may be, you know, instead of historically, the administrator just says, well, I have access to that administrator account, I'll just log straight in and fix it. That is a more streamlined approach, clearly, than having to go into a, a self-service request um, and request that and then wait for that approval to come in. Um, the organizations have... The ability and the flexibility with the PAM solutions and the workflows to do auto granting of, of privileges. So it's like, where's your risk? Um, what do you consider to be um, tolerant and what do you consider not to be tolerant? So if you have two organizations side by side doing the same thing, this one may say, oh no, we, we want three approvers, right? We want to be really risk averse. We want three approvers. And we believe we need that to, um, to satisfy our requirements for risk. Well, that's their requirements for risk. The PAM solution will accommodate that yeah. and it will let them do that. This company may say, yeah, we don't need that much, you know, sort of oversight. So uh, especially for some tasks, some of them were like, no, that's fine. In which case they can say auto approve, in which case it doesn't have to go to a human being. They can yeah. just have an auto approval and immediately they get granted that. Uh, and so they're balancing productivity with security. And that's what it's all about with security in general. But certainly with modern privileged access management solutions, we're trying to 
make Pam invisible. We're trying to take it deeper into the background so it's not introducing friction for users and it's allowing them to get on with their day job without so they still get the same security that we're trying to give them but without impacting their productivity so it is that balance and as and as vendors we need to make sure our our, our products our solutions give the customer the choice which one would they prefer we're not going to force them down a particular path so yeah. hopefully that makes sense yeah of course it's making a lot of sense um okay so um Let's take our uh, feet to the ground and uh, let's go and uh, talk about um, from your experience, what is the struggling that uh, companies and organizations have um, when it's coming to um, issues about the PAM today? Right. So, I mean, PAM has, has certainly, uh, well, really our landscape has, has evolved um, significantly over the last 10 to 15 years, but also in the last two to three years, as we're all painfully aware. Um, you know, so... A lot of companies have been involved in cloud transformation projects, uh, cloud migration projects. There's multiple names for this, but the net net is that they see the value of the cloud. They see that it can bring tremendous business benefits. And so they are migrating workloads out of the data center into the cloud to take advantage of those, of those kinds of benefits. And in doing so, they're fragmenting their IT infrastructure. Now, if you're a very small company, you may be born in the cloud, in which case it's, it's not really an issue. You're not, you're not in this hybrid state, you're purely in the cloud. But for many mid-sized and large enterprises who have been in the data center for many years, that transition, that transformation means that they're now in a hybrid IT state. So yep. they've got infrastructure on premises like Active Directory, a lot of them are grew up with Active Directory as their identity provider, as their source of identity management and control. And that may still remain on premises, um, along with other infrastructure, Linux and, and, and Windows servers still on premises, but they've got new projects, um, you know, cloud-first initiatives where new stuff is going to be built in the cloud. So they're in, the, they're in this hybrid state. And so their infrastructure is split And so a lot of security practitioners, a lot of people in IT security and IT in general are struggling to, 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 to really get their arms around their infrastructure because in the past it was easy. It was in the data center. There was this physical boundary around everything that they had right. and they could manage and protect and secure it. And very often that was a network-centric approach to security because it was... Remember the old, it's, it's like, um, remember the old adage about the, the, the bad people are on the outside and the good people are on the inside? So that was back in the day when we could say all of the people in our network are our employees and they're the good people, we trust them. Therefore, we can be, you know, we don't have to be as security conscious 
about them as we do about the people on the outside trying to break in into our network. Those days have gone. So you'll hear in the press, you'll hear in the news and the analysts saying that, that, you know, the, the perimeter has dissolved. It hasn't really dissolved. It's still there. It's just lots more of them and they're, they're, they're smaller. Maybe they're at the level of a server or a workstation um, or a set of applications. But the net net is that that perimeter that enabled IT security to protect its assets by saying these internal IP addresses are trusted. So anybody with an internal IP address, we can trust. Those with, without, we can't. You can't do that anymore. What we, what we say, what we hear is that the bad people are already inside your networks. You can't right. distinguish friend from foe. And so using things like IP addresses is no longer an appropriate mechanism for trust. It's still part of the equation. We still have network security and we always will. But now we're talking about moving up the stack because of that. And we're saying identity is the new perimeter. And we've been saying that for, for a number of, of years, but with the cloud, with, with remote work, with COVID, with the pandemic, as well as with a, a, a surge of interest in another best practice called zero trust. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, that's, that's, all, that's all more of an, you know, this introduces the possibility of an identity-centric approach to security, where we're continually validating the identities, the credentials that humans, as well as non-humans, are presenting in order to access our business critical servers, our network devices, whether they're in the cloud or whether they're on-premises. So so really, privileged access management is a core of that. It's an identity-centric approach to security let's say, contrasted with a network-centric approach to security. And as I said, over the years, things have got more complex. Um, All of our resources are scattered. And that has required PAM vendors to also make changes. So, you know, what we call legacy PAM solutions that that we know have been around for a decade, they were built for the data center. They were built to, to run in the data center, where all of our resources live, where we could have easy access to Active Directory to validate credentials, etc. But when you lift some of that and put it in the cloud, it becomes a little bit harder now for that data center-focused PAM solution to manage the stuff that's in the cloud. It's like, oh, how does it? It's it's in private clouds. How does it do that? And very often, you know, customers who have invested in those solutions have to kind of replicate their PAM infrastructure in the cloud. So now and you have two of them. More, so now you have two of them. But because organizations tend to have multiple cloud um, uh, accounts, like in AWS, you may have five, 10, 15 accounts, very often aligned to different projects. So you may have four or five applications, and each project for those applications is separate. They're in their own virtual private cloud. They may even have their own different account within that that provider. And so they're firewalled off as well, which means now maybe you need four or five copies of that. (laughs) And then we see more companies going multi-cloud. So you may start off saying, "Ah, I'm just going to start with AWS. Yeah, and then I would go to Google and then to Azure. Exactly. And we've heard from many customers that, you know, we talk to IT and IT security a lot for obvious reasons, but we've heard them say, ah, 
we were kind of focused on this cloud and then the bean counters, the financial people, you know, they came to us and said, you know, Microsoft just, just gave us a sweet deal, you know, or Google just gave us a sweet deal if, if we stand up some stuff. So now you're in multiple clouds and it becomes even more fragmented, even more challenging to manage which users can log into the cloud, what they're allowed to do, what, what virtual Linux and Windows instances they can log into, what they can do once they're logged in, how to monitor that and, and, and record all of the activity, et cetera, so that compliance can get the reports it needs, right? Make sure that you're compliant, you're doing the right things. And incident response, right? If, if something happens, where is it? <laughs> how, do I, how do I see what's going on? So, so lots of challenges. And as I say, the industry has changed. COVID changed us by having everybody remote. Yeah, the remote access the is a big service. issue. Exactly. The hygiene of, of, of our home networks, the, the security of our home networks is not going to be as strong as the security of what was our networks in the office, right? Yes. I mean, I've got kids, I've got people who visit, they jump onto my network and my laptop's on the same network that they're on, right? And I may not have, you know, I may not have it as firewalled off and protected as, as our inter So there's lots and lots of, of dynamics that cloud migration, um, data transformation, and the pandemic have introduced to increase risk. And I was just reading the Verizon data breach investigations report just the other day. In fact, I, I did a little podcast on that as well. Um, that comes out every year. If you're in security, you know what that is. It's like, yeah, this is the landscape. This is what's happening. And I see an uptick in, in, in uh, attacks coming through from third parties and vendors. So once again, it's like external vendors being, being breached and using the credentials they have to come into our networks. There's always been that, but there's, there's more of it now. It's, it's all externally focused. Um, and so these are the challenges. And as, as I say, the PAM vendors have had to adjust. And if they haven't adjusted, then it's like, ooh, they're trying to, to lift and shift and retrofit their legacy PAM solutions into the cloud. Is, is it multi-tenant? Is it going to work with the cloud economy? Yeah. You know, so yeah, so course. cloud native PAM PAM solutions are really where it's at today. Anyway, over to you, I can't. Yeah, it's okay, it's fine. There uh, a little bit. Uh, in, in my previous uh, podcast, I was talking about um, the supply chain. And, oh right, right, right. Yeah, and, and I, I'm thinking right now, uh, according to what you are saying, is that we know that the supply chain is a big issue. Okay, yes. uh, companies can have hundreds of uh, suppliers or uh, even thousands of suppliers. Now, how can I take the PAM and make sure that my suppliers are straight to, to this idea? <laughs> That's the golden question. That's the million dollar question. Um, but you're right. I mean, supply chains, um, I mean, certainly he, over here in, in the US, last year, uh, President Biden um, published an executive order, um, which kind of 
pushes the federal government and the agencies to adopt a zero trust architecture. Um, and I think a lot of that was driven by the breaches that we saw, you know, with solar winds, with colonial pipelines. Colonial pipelines, I believe, in, in, with supply chain was the big, the big exactly. one. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there is more visibility and concern around this. Now, clearly, um, you know, if, if you're in the middle of a supply chain, you, you have more control over your own destiny than you do over the suppliers. Um, if you're a very big company, you may be able to wield a big stick and say, you need to prove to us that you're deploying certain controls to mitigate the risk of you being attacked. And, and the, the processes and the procedures, the processes by which we interface are more um, rigorous, are more secured. Uh, I mean, if you go all the way back to 2010, when um, in the US Target was breached, the Target Stores company, it was very high profile because one of their suppliers, which was called an, H an HVAC supplier, which is... Um, um, a heating, uh, ventilation, and, and uh, um, AC company. They had remote access into the target network because they had, like, I guess, management tools for their, for their heating and their ventilation systems. But somebody on that side was, was compromised, and their account was used to get into target. So they walked, those attackers walked in masquerading as legitimate users. So the alarm bells didn't go off. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the risks that we run. If you're a big company, you can maybe influence the degree to which security is implemented by your supply chain. But as you said, what if there's hundreds or thousands of them? That's, that's a harder job. Um, but with smaller companies, they may not have that influence. And so they, they've really got to work on protecting themselves, on protecting their borders and protecting on the inside. And... Again, as security practitioners, we're all familiar with something called an attack chain or an attack path. It's, it's kind of a way of explaining that there's usually a sequence of logical events that the cyber attackers will go through, starting with the infiltration, starting with how do you get a, a foothold on the company's systems to begin with, And then subsequently, how do you elevate privileges so that you can move laterally from system to system to system so that you can find the data that you either want to exfiltrate and sell or maybe that you want to encrypt for ransom if it's a ransomware attack. So that attack chain is where we need to focus as individual companies and we may be individual companies as part of a supply chain ourselves. We can't, I don't think we have enough control over everybody else. We've got to kind of hope that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. If they are, fantastic. If they're not, we've got to do the right thing and mitigate the risk that if they try and let somebody in, that we can shut it down. And as I mentioned in that target breach, one of the hardest things is if somebody gets hold of a legitimate account ID and password, then the system thinks they're legitimate and lets them in. SolarWinds was, was a great example of that. Exactly, exactly. So part of our job in the PAM world is to mitigate those risks, and we can do that in various ways. We often talk about PAM maturity. 
PAM is not just this thing that you install and hey, we're done now. Yeah, of course. It, it's it's over time. It's it's a pro. It's a process. There's multiple yeah. layers of mat- of maturity, and one of the easiest on ramps, one of the easiest things that you can implement to mitigate risk is MFA. And MFA has come a long, long way over the last ten years. But MF we we talk about MFA everywhere, which means it's not just at the front door; it's at multiple places. Because let's face it, if you're an administrator or a cyber attacker pretending to be an administrator, there's going to be multiple places where you're looking for privileged access. It could be to to to, to get onto a an end user's workstation. It could be to log into a server from the workstation, what we call moving vertically. But from there, it could be to to download your tools, your hacking tools. It could be to create a backdoor account, an SSH key that could be used as a backdoor account. And it could be to move laterally from one server to another server. And it could be to encrypt data on the disk. That It all needs privileges. And so part of what we, we try and do is throw MFA at each of those privileged access um, gates, if you will. So not just at the front door. Front door, yeah, sure. MFA, we can throw that at them. But yeah, it's easy because it's what you expect to be on the front yeah. door. We are talking exactly. about deeper inside. We are, and and look at business. Look at um, hackers today. The, the it, these they are businesses. These cyber attackers are groups of people that specialize. It's like a project in your own company. You'll have yeah, a developer, yeah. you'll have a QA, a test, you'll have a research. You'll, that's what these are. And they invest their own money to make their business successful. So they'll invest in developers who can develop tools. They will invest in um, people who can uh, set up the uh, the transport mechanism to allow their tools to be successful, like email accounts and distribution networks. Okay, they will invest in this. And so when they engage on a project, they kind of have a project plan and they want to execute on that very, very quickly, do what they need to do, then move on to the next victim because time is money. So if you put barriers or hurdles in front of them at the front door, on the workstation, on the servers, before they can run certain applications, before they can check out a pass, all these different MFA hurdles, they're going to go, oh, what? MFA? Ah, all right. So they either then move on or they try and circumvent that hurdle, bypass it, but then they're going off script. And that can mean more noise and more noise because they're doing things that they weren't expecting to do. Yeah, of course, they want mean to be that we very, very them quiet. More quickly. We, we can detect them more quickly. Yeah. So it's things like that. Another example of, of how we can better react to stolen credentials where it looks like a legitimate user is doing stuff is behavioral analytics. That's, that's a more advanced uh, PAM capability. Historically, you know, when it comes to PAM or, or really anything, that needs to make like a decision, you know, grant access or deny access. You need rules. You need something that you would hand type into a program that said, if this is Tony and Tony is trying to log into this server, yes or no, based on my job function, right? Things like that. The problem with a rule-based policy engine like that is it requires constant care and feeding. We have to constantly make sure that those rules are maintained, that they're current. 
You know, what happens when there's some other kind of form of attack or attack pathology? We go, oh, well, I have more rules. It becomes big and unwieldy and hard to manage and maintain. So behavioral analytics and machine learning um, uh, can be introduced into privileged access management as a way of watching the user's behavior and saying, hmm, is this typical? Is this what we would expect this user to do? And if the answer is yes, then no friction. You know, that invisible PAM I was talking about. We yeah, let them in, single sign-on. No, no getting in the way. If the answer is no, then it may be just a little bit odd or it may be very odd. So let's say that, that, that this, this thing is really looking at risk as high, medium, or low. So low risk is that single sign-on. We don't yeah, interfere. Medium risk, we may say, hmm, let's throw MFA at them. Let's see if they really are who they're pretending to be. And so, you know, let's say a ransomware bot gets hit with MFA. Well, ransomware, it's, it's, it's malware. It can't react to MFA. You stop it. Yeah. Right? If it's a human attacker, then that human attacker may have to have my mobile phone because maybe a push notification goes to my mobile phone. They probably don't have it. Um, so that could be for medium. And then for high risk, it's like, whoa, you know, Tony is, has never before accessed this server from an IP address that's in Moldova or some other country, you know. Just close everything. Whatever. You know exactly. And it's 2 a.m. on Sunday. And yeah. he's always at 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, whatever. And there can be lots and lots of different factors that this behavioral analytics engine you know, and it creates a profile over time that it constantly fine-tunes to say, this is Tony, this is Tony. Yeah. Um, and so it could say, wow, the risk is high. Deny access and maybe alert security or somebody to, to investigate this could be a potential breach. And maybe it, it even helps by saying, by the way, here's a link to a session recording. So part of PAM is potentially not only to audit in log files what, what people do, but to visually record the session. So when it comes to investigations, you can sort of click on that link and go, okay, let me watch what happened. I can yeah. see visually what on the screen. What, Which is what, the what best for forensic. To do. It is. It's, it's fantastic for chain of custody and for forensic evidence. I, I want to go so with you. I kind you. of wandered around a little bit. No, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's very interesting. And I believe that our audience wants to understand better the big picture. So it's very good. Um, I, I want to, to go with you back to the zero trust because I believe, A, everybody's talking about that. B, um, again, it became a buzz. Every company is talking about zero trust. Yeah. So let's go a bit about that. All right. Let's talk a little bit about zero trust. So, um, so first of all, zero trust is nothing new. It's, it's 10, 15, maybe longer years. In fact, when I was doing my research for a, a blog over a year ago now, I discovered that what is now called zero trust was really captured within a research document that was published by the Jericho Forum in the UK about 15 years ago. They didn't call it zero trust. It took... Um, it took the analyst firm Forrester to give it that name. So, so they saw that 
And they said, you know what? That was a number of years ago, but now this, what, what's happened? The cloud, this would be really good for the cloud. Because they saw, they saw, you know, we're, we're on the data center, we're in the cloud, we're distributing everything, the perimeter's dissolving. This thing that the Jericho Forum wrote about, you know, five, 10 years ago, it's really relevant today. So there was, there was an analyst at, um, at Forrester called John Kindervag, who kind of saw that, and and he was the analyst that, that that published this for Forrester and gave it the name Zero Trust. And he's since moved on to Palo Alto Networks, but um, but Zero Trust. I, I think I mentioned at the time that that you know a lot of our security was network centric back in those days. Zero Trust was pretty much network centric in those days. Yeah. Um, over the years, Zero Trust has evolved, and it now has you know, sort of best practices for how to secure your systems. It still has the network-centric stuff, but it also has best practices around workloads and identities, which is where we come into play. So, so this, is, this is pretty cool. But Zero Trust is not a product. Zero Trust is not a product. It's, it's a philosophy. It's, a set of, it, it's kind of like an approach to security that if implemented in, in technology and process, can achieve, you know, sort of pretty powerful security and risk-based results. So you'll never see, you'll never go online and say, I want to buy Zero Trust, right? It's up to vendors like ourselves to say, all right, we're in the PAM space. So let's create a PAM solution that aligns with the principles of Zero Trust. And then we can say to our customers, if you're trying to do a Zero Trust and you need to manage privileged access as part of your security strategy, then we align with Zero Trust, we align with your goals. That's what you'd be looking for. So, so again, Zero Trust is not a product, it's, it's kind of a way of doing things and it really needs to be throughout the organization. And, and this makes sense because again, security practitioners, I think there's a brain drain. There was the mass migra- uh, um, resignation, the great resignation, um, and a lot of, of people without a strong background in security have found themselves in security positions and they're just like, wow, this is big. I I need some guidance. I need some directions. There's so many little bits of security. So, So you can, you know, as an organization, you can align with a set of best practices that helps you implement security. And as many organizations, you may have to um, you may have to align with with industry standards and regulations, and there may be you know there may be dozens of these things. Yeah, of course. And they all kind of overlap. You know, they all have security stuff, and they all have privacy stuff. And if you were to really compare them side by side, you'd say, hmm, eighty percent of these are the same as this, and eighty <laughs> percent of these is the same as this. So many organizations. Um, are looking at things like zero trust to say, hmm, if I can adopt zero trust as my corporate kind of security philosophy, and I can really nail that down, that can satisfy the vast majority of those individual regulations and standards that I'm also having to comply with. So it gives them a much bigger, higher level framework to get their arms around and to better understand their approach to security. But yeah, as I mentioned, um, the Biden administration has kind of said zero trust architecture for federal agencies um, within the US. 
And I was also speaking to a colleague of mine um, who works actually at Forrester, uh, an analyst there. And she told me that, that she's seeing other countries and other foreign companies outside of the US also looking at that and saying, wow, supply chain attacks, ransomware attacks, we are struggling with this. Let's look at what the US is doing on zero trust adoption. Let's run with it as well. So this thing is becoming a more global phenomenon. And, and really, if I were to, I mean, this is hard to do, but I'm going to make it a, a stab at, at focusing on two core elements of zero trust that make sense to me from a PAM perspective. One is a principle that says we want to remove implicit trust from our administrators. Now, we've already spoken about that. Yeah, of course. Least privilege. Least privilege is the other one. So if we can enforce a model of least privilege, then we're removing implicit trust from our administrators, not because we hate them, but because we're human and we make mistakes and we get fished. Even administrators get fished. The, the, the sophistication of phishing attacks has gone through the roof. And so by taking that, that implicit trust away, putting our, our credentials in a vault, managing access to them, ideally just leaving them there and having us just log in with minimum rights as ourselves, that drives down risk. And that those, so implicit trust removal and least privilege are two very, very fundamental elements of zero trust. And that's what we propose as, you know, when we're talking two sides of the pan coin, yeah, of vaulting and a privilege elevation, that privilege elevation is really not going to work very well if you don't have least privilege. So, so, so yeah, I see a lot of organizations coming to us saying, all right, how can you help us um, align with, with zero trust? And this is, this is what we talk about. The irony is that, that our approach to PAM with that privilege elevation, we've already been aligned with zero trust for many, many years, even before it became hugely popular. Yeah. So we're in the lucky position of not having to make any product changes because we were kind of already doing, doing it, <laughs> which, is, which is somewhat beneficial. So Very good. So, Tony, we, we came to the end, and I believe um, you couldn't have done it better with the, the final you, of you. the Zero Trust. And mm. um, the last thing that uh, I would ask is, um, what are the takeaways from, those, from this conversation? So, the takeaways from this conversation, I would say... Um, we all have to recognize, if we don't already, that things have changed, right? The dynamics of the world, the dynamics of how we do business, the dynamics of our IT infrastructure have changed. It's no longer in one place with the old castle and moat analogy. So we have to understand that we need to revisit all of our security, not just PAM. We need to say, okay, this used to work like that, it's a, new, it's a new world now. How do we live in a hybrid IT world? How do we make sure that we're securing all aspects of our infrastructure? And how are we making it easy for our remote users? And that's all of our employees. Admittedly, some of us may be going back to the office, but 
I think that a lot of organizations are still going to be remote for a long time. Yeah. And we have vendors and third-party contractors and outsourced IT and outsourced development. How do we make it easy and secure for them to get only to the right stuff for the right reasons? So, so that's, one, that's one big takeaway. Another big takeaway is that aligned with that, be careful. You may already have PAM solutions in place. They may be fairly legacy. You may find yourself trying to lift and shift those into the cloud to satisfy this hybrid cloud requirement. And that can be challenging, um, depending upon how big you are and how big your infrastructure is. I would advocate, you know, when your three-year maintenance is up or whenever is, is the right time, um, to look at modern solutions, modern PAM solutions that are cloud native. They're, they're designed for the cloud, they're SaaS solutions, they're accessible from anywhere, and they're designed to accommodate some these dynamics, right? There are certain, we didn't get into it, but there are certain nuances, certain use cases that the cloud has introduced that didn't exist when you were just on premises. So it's like, well, those PAM solutions were never designed to accommodate them. Yeah. So, so look at modern PAM solutions and be very, very careful when someone says, yes, we're a cloud-based PAM solution, because you can easily take a monolithic PAM app, lift it, shift it, put it in a, in a VMware image in, a, in an instance, a virtual machine in the cloud, and call it, you know, cloud. It's not. So be very careful about, you know, PAM solutions designed for the cloud to accommodate those cloud dynamics and those cloud use cases. So, um, and, and I guess the third thing is, um, you know, pay, pay a lot of attention to automation. PAM solutions, um, you know, security at the expense of productivity is dead. Right, we need to balance the two. We need to make sure we've got the strongest security, but that the impact to your users is minimal. We call it invisible PAM. It's like it shrinks into the background. It does things automatically. There's a lot of automations to make sure that it does what it needs to do, but without impacting the users. Think of DevOps. They're so agile, you don't want to get in the way of DevOps. Yeah, of course. They will throw things out. So friction, is a bad thing. So look at modern PAM solutions that have a, a lot of good automation that can do a lot of this stuff behind the scenes and not get in the way. So that would be the third takeaway. So Great. Hopefully that helped. Uh -huh, of course. Tony, thank you very much. It was exciting. A really very, very, very interesting. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with someone which is so deep in the technology, but not only the technology, the understanding of the security, cybersecurity. And of course, after 30 years, actually, you saw everything, almost. <laughs> you keep saying 30 years. I thought it was 10, but yeah, okay, it's 30. <laughs> okay. I'm not old. I've lost, lost my hair, so... It's okay. Well, as you can see over here, same, same. Tony, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for this interview. You're thank very you. welcome. It's been, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much indeed. Great. Bye-bye.